continue our Carriers of the Heart series. This whole month, we're going to look at the value of what does it mean to live a Jesus-focused life? That where Jesus is our focus, He's what we're looking towards. He's our constant compass because we are always changing. And in a world that is experiencing such rapid change, we need one who is unchanging, That he is perfect alone, the same yesterday, today, and forever because you can't improve upon perfection. You know, in my pocket, I have this little compass. Some of you on the phones that you have have a compass built in or your cars often have compasses built in. Again, because as in the city that we live in, there are natural examples that roads change and buildings get built and how you got somewhere begins to change. But how many of you know that north is always still north? And that we have these compasses that point us in the direction where it is that we're going. There are these little visual metaphors all around us. But you and I live in a world today that is not neutral to the gospel. It is growing more and more hostile towards the gospel. And one path that the world continually teaches us or says is that the world will get better, humanity will get better if we just get rid of belief, in particular, religious belief. Now, the problem with that is simply if you look at the whole annals of history, it isn't true. It's a great tweet, and oftentimes it gets a good clap because it's an easy target. But Jesus said for you and for me that the world will only get better when we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth. And the one that leads to life. And so the question is, I'm not asking today, for some of you I am, I guess, asking if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus. But for others of you, I'm not asking if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus. But I am asking where your trope and your your hope and where your trust is in. What feet, in other words, what feet, what path are your feet upon? And if I could get my mouth working, it would also be great this morning. So again, Jesus said he's the way that leads to life. He said he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. So if he's the way, and he's the way that leads to life, then you and I have to also wrestle with Jesus who tells us the truth. That you and I, you and I cannot only embrace a love that does not require change or a grace that enables sin because that is not the love of God nor the grace of God. No, we need to come face to face with a father who loves us so much that he lets truth come to our hearts and not my truth or your truth, but a truth that is higher, that is greater, that is something that supersedes our thoughts, our feelings, our intellect, our current fads that we believe. There's got to be something that is unchanging that is true. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to read two portions of Scripture. We're going to use some of the work of Mark Sayers and David Zoll who do great sociological work and see if together we can identify the paths that we are presented with each day. Though no one will ever use the word, hey, here's a path. That is exactly what is occurring to you and I. And finally, we're going to talk briefly about how Jesus loves us so much that sometimes the most loving thing he can say to you or to me is no. And it's not because he doesn't love us, it's because he does. Did you know fasting, with which we're in a 21 days of fasting and prayer starting today? <laughs> did, I just joke. Did you know that fasting, what is fasting? Fasting is not self 
motivation. Fasting is saying no to something we want because there is someone that we want greater. It is surrendering and allowing God to do something in you and pushing back from something you love for someone, for Jesus, for following him that you love more. As we've alluded to now a few times, in John 14, verses 6 to 7, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one, we all think we're the exception, but Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says something very relational. If you had known me, not about me, not somebody else's opinion of me, But if you had known me as I am revealed through my word, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know know him and have seen him. The first name given to Christians or followers of Jesus was not Christian, is that we were followers of the way. That was the name given to us who are followers of Jesus, that we are followers of the way, the way of Christ. We are followers of In his footsteps, we are following his life, his leading, his love, and his example, and his teachings, that we are followers of the way. And by a show of hands this morning, has anybody here ever in their life gotten lost anywhere in your life? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, okay, okay. At some point, while you were lost, you have to trust somebody, whether it is a person or technology. In fact, we don't trust people with maps anymore. We trust Siri with maps or Alexa with maps, not people. They're more trustworthy. But the bottom line is someone who says, I know the way. I know the way. Follow me. Let's go this way. You, at that moment, you cannot simultaneously go in two different directions. You have to pick a way. And I can't do that long because it hurts badly. You have to pick a way. You've got to pick a direction in which your life is going to go, where your heart is going to anchor, where your trust is going to rest. So I want you to put your little imagination caps on. I want you to imagine yourself 2,000 years ago As you have seen probably in films that cities in that day didn't look like cities today. That cities in those days, 2,000 years ago, had walls and they had a gate. The walls brought definition to the city, but it also brought protection from those outside of the city. But there was a wall, there was a gate in the city. And there was, on this gate, there was oftentimes a large gate. And then within the large gate, there was a much smaller gate. A much, much smaller gate. So I want you to imagine yourself pulling up to the city, and you've got your donkey, your camels, you've got all your stuff. And they don't open the big gate door, but the little gate door. The little gate door is enough for you to go through, But not necessarily all your stuff. In fact, if you go to Israel on a trip, you can actually see it. And so when Jesus says the words that I'm about to read, the readers of his day would have instantly understood what he was saying. And so Jesus said to them, Enter by the narrow gate. Everyone say narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate, by the smaller door. For the gate is wide. It's big and it's easy. That leads to what? That leads to? 
So a life without boundaries, a life without guardrails, a life where we, in me, myself, and I determine what's good for me, myself, and I. Jesus said, this is the life that leads to destruction. And then he contrasts it and says, there's many who want that because they don't like guardrails. Guardrails don't feel like love. They feel like hindrance. But Jesus is saying, if you trust me enough to follow this way, to come this way, to trust me with your heart and your life. He says, no, for the gate is narrow and the, the way is hard or it's, it's difficult. It's constraining is probably an accurate word here. That leads to the opposite of destruction, which is that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So again, a narrow path means that it's, it's tighter, that there's a single direction. In other words, that you can go through that gate with no problem, but you have to make a decision about how much stuff comes through with you. It's not a broad gate where you get to just bring everything with you. There's this, Jesus is saying, no, no, if you want to engage life, it's a narrower way. Now, Jesus didn't say it's a tightrope because there are some of you today who you've given your heart to Jesus, but, but you still believe that your salvation is rooted in you. And you're insecure every day and you live every day like if I say the wrong thing, then all of a sudden I'm out. Or if I do the wrong thing, then all of a sudden I'm out. It's as though everything is dependent upon you and the gospel isn't that your salvation is dependent upon you. In fact, it goes much, much further that there's nothing that you can do to earn it. It is a gift from God. It is given to you as this gift of grace. Again, not a grace that enables us to do whatever we want, but a grace that enables us to open our hearts and allow the voice of the Father to speak to us and to bring sometimes coarse correction to our hearts and to our lives. A moment ago, I used an illustration. Have you ever known that you're lost or you've been driving in your car and your GPS, you make a wrong turn and it says rerouting. You know, there's a, there's a very simple thing that you do. If you do not know where you're going, as it begins to reroute you, you trust that its rerouting is going to get you where you need to go. You trust it. You do it. You, you trust technology. We trust technology often that it knows exactly where I'm going. Craig Rochelle says it, and I agree with him, that some of us have more faith in technology than we do Christ. Because there's a place of humility, even when driving, that if you make a wrong turn, how many know if you get on the 417 and you begin to head west, you're going to hit Toronto, or 401. If you're going to go east, you're going to head towards Montreal. How many of you know that if you're trying to get to Toronto and you go in the wrong way, it takes humility to allow yourself to be rerouted. For you and for me, when Jesus comes and says, ah, that's, that's not going to lead to life, do you trust that he's trying to bring you to life or do you see him as a killjoy trying to rob you of life and pleasure and happiness? You see, there are two paths, again, that we are presented with every single day. The work of Scripture is a singular story. It starts with God. It says, in the beginning, God. Now, for some of you, that's revelation because you thought the whole story of Scripture was in the beginning, me. That it's all about me. And, and No, 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 no. It's all about God. And if you don't get that right at the beginning, then, then, then you get it. It's hard sometimes to bring. We've we, we got to bring some course correction here. 
That in the beginning, God, and, and here's the beautiful thing, is that God is in partnership with his son, who is the word, as John tells us, active in creation, where the spirit of God hovering over the deep. So the beginning pages of scripture, you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, fully active in creation, and they create the world in which we live. And the pinnacle of creation is they create man, humanity, in God's image, in his likeness. You and I are created. And the essence of the way in which God designed the world is that you and I are inseparable from the presence of God. So it starts with God. It's all about presence. It's all about his presence with us. We see walking in the cool of the day, no distance. And he creates a garden called Eden. It's a garden, again, it's beautiful. But he sets man to work it, which gives us purpose. But there's one tree. Everyone say one tree. One tree. But he says, don't go by it. And if you've ever had a child or been around children, you've done You have done what your Father in heaven has done. As I start getting close to the tree, like a child, as a parent, you have a technique. You ready for it? I'm going to count to three. One. And the child goes, two. Two and a half. (laughs) Right? Three. Four, and then you're stuck, right? You got, as a parent, if you're new to parenting, you got to have a plan when you hit three. And your plan can't be like, we're going to cancel Christmas. You don't have a room anymore. Because you got to give yourself some parenting girth as this goes along, okay? So, but you got to have a plan before you start to count. So God puts a tree in the garden, and we see free will within humanity. But here's what I want you to know, is God had a plan beyond the tree to redeem humanity, which is that there is, though, this fall And the fall brings into this thing called sin, which is transgression and brokenness, and we miss the mark, all of these things. But at the core of it is that we are separated from the presence of God. And then God begins to move the story of redemption and rescue, ultimately what we're going to look at in the person of Jesus Christ. But he begins in his grace and his mercy to call out a person named Abraham who becomes a people called the children of Israel. He begins to move in a nation, and this is what was different, is this nation was to be different than every other nation. They were to show a different way. And so he gave us laws in his grace and in his wisdom. Again, all pointing, he gave us prophets, all pointing to Jesus, where there is this place of rescue where for you and I, the cross, as I said a few moments ago, is not, the story of the scripture is not that we can save ourselves, but that we have to recognize that we're in need of saving, that Jesus came again, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve to give us the life that we could never earn in and of ourselves. And here we are today, and if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, or you can surrender your heart to Jesus right in this very moment, or I'm going to lead us in prayer towards the end of the talk today. But here's the beautiful thing. He's as close as the mention of his name, not because of how valuable we are, but because of how amazing Jesus is. And the work of his son, that's what bridged the gap between us and humanity. But church, we've still got work to do because while salvation is finished, the world in which we live in is still broken. Evidence, but I don't know how you feel about it, but my heart is absolutely grieved looking at a world on the brink of war again. 
Nothing but war and cycles and cycles and cycles. Because what Jesus said is, until the Prince of Peace rules the heart, the human heart, it's not just about belief and religion. Again, that gets an easy clap in 2020 that the problem of every conflict is religion. Don't buy that. The problem of every conflict is the human heart. It's the human heart because you can look at North Korea, you can look at China, read a history book and you can see nations that have absolutely no religion, but everyone has belief. And here's the work that we have to do. We've got to join God in the renewal of all things. But we live in a world where salvation's finished, but there's still brokenness. There's still temptation. There's still, still sickness. There's still disease. There's still all of these things. And we see glimpses and moments. And our heart longs for this ultimate place called heaven. And heaven is not just an evacuation out. It is the full restoration of everything that God intended. What started as a garden ends as a city. What we started with full presence of God is redeemed fully where not only his presence is in and through our lives, but it touches everything on earth and systems. This is the story of the scriptures. And this is what the gospel calls out every single day to each of our hearts and lives. But I want to contrast it to another story. The story that I just talked about in scripture, the challenge with it is is only one king in one kingdom. And so it's a narrow way, it's a narrow path. The other story, though, is the broad path, and it's the, it goes by a lot of names. One of the most current ones is secularism, but it goes by a lot of names, humanism, whatever it wants. The gospel starts with God, but secularism starts with us. It starts with you. In the trinity of the gospel is God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The gospel of secularism is me, myself, and I. It's still Trinitarian. It's just a false gospel. It is not just a harmless belief system. It is an antithesis to the gospel. But it starts with you and it starts with progress and then it moves to this place of the self where you were not born in as a sinner, you were born innocent and perfect. And then something happened, there was a trauma that happened where something difficult happened to you or wrong happened to you or someone didn't recognize your true value and so there was trauma in our hearts and lives. Something happened to me and then here's the challenge, in order to be set free from that, there's no functional outside savior that you have to save yourself. You gotta pick yourselves up by your own bootstraps but you have to go in a process of not external salvation but internal self-discovery. Who am I? What's my life all about? about? Why am I here? What's my purpose? All of those things which moves us to a place of achievement in the story where again, it's then to overcome some of these things, we got to achieve more, we got to prove more, we got to be more, we got to again pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We've always got to have it right. We've always got to say the right answer. We've got to say it the right way. When we get up in the morning, we've got to have our things. We've got to just go, 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 go. We've got to earn more, achieve more, climb ladders. Is it any wonder why the world is crumbling? Because they are exhausted under the weight of self-salvation. We're exhausted by it. We're exhausted by the fact that we can't, no matter how hard we try, change some things about ourselves. We don't like to say that, but it's true. And secularism basically says, well, no, the problem isn't you. It never could be you. The problem actually is all these guardrails. It's religion is the problem, or this is the problem. And so heaven in secularism is that when every restraint is thrown off, ah, then you'll have utopia and bliss, and the world will be as one. 
Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. And Jesus said, pick a path. One is narrow and it has guardrails and it leads to life. The other is broad and it is easier because there's no guardrails. But eventually it leads to destruction. And he says, choose the path. Now here's what I want you to notice. The broad path starts with the very first thing that God said, if you want to flourish, don't do this. Exodus 20, verse 3, number one commandment of 10, you shall have no other gods before me. Is that because God is insecure? No, 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 a thousand times no. Does God have to work on his self-esteem? I know. Again, in the beginning, God comes in the beginning before, in the beginning, me. John Tyson says, all idolatry springs from a lack of gratitude and self-definition. And Jesus loves us so much that he'll bring resistance to our hearts to course correct our lives. He will, like your GPS, try to reroute your life. There's a famous story in Scripture that brings this to a point where these two paths intersect, and it's in John or Mark chapter 10. It says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is a great question, by the way. And Jesus answered him, why do you call me good? And if Jesus ever answers that way, you know you're in it. You just know you're in it. Like you're just full in it. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And who's standing right in front of him? God. What he's saying is, What's your definition of good? I want to know what it is. And the rich young ruler tells him what his definition of good is. And Jesus essentially is going to say to him, it's not good enough. You know the commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler, he's listening and he's now just, he's, he's, he's in it and he's thrilled because he's nailed these subjects. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, here's what it says that I think is so powerful. Because Jesus is trying to reroute his life, but the motivation of why Jesus is doing this is because he loves him. It's not because he's displeased with him, it's because he loves him so much. It says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he loved him enough to say to him, you lack one thing. Now, it's not like the rich young ruler only had one thing to get right in his life. But his question was, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I like you're one step away. You're one step away. And then he says to him, remember the gate I talked about a little while ago? Big gate, small gate, all your stuff's got to stay. You can get through, but your stuff can't. Jesus says to him, I'm going to give you a narrow door. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And it says, disheartened with the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great, what? Possessions. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things, everyone say all things. All things are possible with God. Now Jesus wasn't giving the rich young ruler another gospel here. He wasn't saying, work for it. 
what he was saying to him is this. Rich, young, ruler, this is the identity of your life. I'm trying to get you to child of God. I'm trying to change the identity and the foundation of your life. That either your salvation is in your stuff or your salvation is in me. Because the question that he asked him is, how do I inherit eternal life? Not how do I live my best life now. How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and he loved him enough to give him not only the way, but to give him truth that would have led to life. I want you, but you've got to let go of all these titles. You think those things define you, but they don't. Jesus is not anti-stuff, but he sure is anti-idols. And this rich young ruler, it's not about his wealth, it's not about his age, it's not about any of those things. It's those were his functional idols. What is the scripture so is so clear? Jesus rambles off commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. But what's the first commandment? You have no other gods before me, so here's the door, it's narrow and small, come on through. And he goes, ah, I kind of want to have all these idols in you. The problem is he's looking to the eyes of a king with a different kingdom where those don't work. And so he gives the opportunity. It's small, it's narrow, but I want you. I love you. Come on through and it's going to lead to life. He's presented with a choice, this rich young ruler. Presence or progress. Rescue or rediscover. Redemption or rewards. I want to contrast his life with 120 other lives that over the course of Jesus' ministry, about 120 followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit on a day called Pentecost who were followers of the way that was narrow where there was one king living into a different kingdom. And it doesn't mean that they don't get stressed and worried and they don't have anxiety. It doesn't mean they don't have all those things. Listen, listen, listen. Sometimes if, we're, if our feet are... If our feet, our feet, our, Pete Moss, if our feet are on the path, do you see how those words connected in my brain? If your feet are on the path of the broad path of self-discovery where it all rests on you, then you may say, well, I just need a me day. As a follower of Jesus, you don't need a me day. You need a day where you come to your Father and you cast your burdens upon Him because you know that He loves you. You have a day where you can be still and know that he is God. Because again, a me day, it's still resting on you. It's still resting on self-discovery. Like, well, I just want to do this or I just want to do that. I just got to rediscover who I am. And Jesus is saying, you can look inside, that's fine. But also look up and let me tell you and remind you who you are. And we can choose which companion, as Lori was saying, or Pastor Lori was saying a moment ago. And 120 followers of Jesus were followers of the way. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they lived in a different way in the face of a culture that was so hostile to the gospel that many of them lost their lives. But here's what I want you to know. That 120, if I fast forward 20 to 2020, is billions of followers of Jesus all around the world. His truth is marching on. That kings and kingdoms They've all come and gone. The power of Rome is no more, but the power of the heart, we still see evidences of it. That rises and falls, but we have in Christ a true and better compass that is unchanging. The same yesterday, today, and forever. 
John Tyson says, whether we consciously realize it or not, Jesus is not the only person who invites us to live into a particular way. Every religion, culture, and school of thought presents its own way, a path to happiness or to the divine, a manner of life to achieve the happiness or spirituality. But this is why the writer of Hebrews, because of Jesus, says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus By the what? By the new and what? Living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, through him dying for us. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." In a changing world, is Jesus your compass? Is Jesus your way? Are you a follower of the way? Or are you exhausted under the weight of trying to be perfect, of trying to be enough, of trying to fix everything and save everyone and have the right answer to everyone? Are you exhausted by the weight of all of those things? And Jesus invites, says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you a me day. No, he says, come, come to me, Jesus says, not to you, and I will give you a gift of rest. Not to go the next day and pick all those things back up, to walk into a different way where together we learn a different rhythm, where we live our lives Jesus-focused on narrow paths. Thank you.